Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. Well, this is my second cup of coffee today. See, because I get, because at home we use a French press to make good coffee, and, and that's what we do. No, no, that's, no, that's espresso. No, a French press is where you grind the coffee, and then you put it in this container, and you fill the container with hot water. And you let it sit for maybe four or five minutes. And then you take the press and you push the, the beans and stuff down to the bottom. And, and the coffee comes up through. And it, oh my gosh, it's the best way to make coffee. It just is. So. French press is like $10. <laughs> They're not expensive at all. I like that goal. I'm with you. I'm with you. I I was not a coffee fan really until I would every once in a while I'd have a latte or a mocha or something. But then somebody gave me a fifty dollar Starbucks card for Christmas, and and I I went in and I was like I'm not a I don't really like coffee that much but I'm kind of you know and he the guy was like Do you like peppermint? I said Yeah. He said Well I'm gonna make you a Peppermint mocha. I said, okay. And I used that entire $50 card in three days on peppermint mochas. Because they're so good. Because they are really good. Although now I'm like, oh, that's too sweet. I can't, I can't really do peppermint mochas anymore. There's, they're pretty sweet, though. I can't even really do a mocha at all. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, so... So then I was completely hooked. But the longer I've loved coffee, the more I've loved coffee and not like hot, hot chocolate or whatever. And so I move more and more and more towards just black coffee. Which I, this has cream and stevia in it, but, um, but a lot of times I'll just drink just straight black coffee. And if it's good coffee, then it's good. If it's not good coffee, then it's not good. Recently, it's just had a weird... It's COVID, isn't it? But it's been having like a weird dirt taste to me when I get... I cold brew? Then. From where? Stop. See, I don't like their cold brew. But then I get so much energy from them that I... But I make cold brew at home sometimes, especially in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Pow! Of course, we buy really good coffee beans, which are expensive, that but... Is Really good coffee beans, fresh coffee beans that have just been roasted recently. Oh, yeah. Honestly, McDonald's coffee is not bad. It's not. It's not great, but it's not bad. Okay, but that's not coffee. Have you 
The coffee at Speedway is not coffee. It's not coffee. No. <laughs> it's, it's coffee adjacent. Like a percolator? Yeah. No. Gosh, the coffee that is better than I know. Ooh, I don't know. That would be hard for me to believe. Like, my best friend, she's a barista, and that's the only way she drinks her coffee. I haven't tried it, so I can't really speak to it. Okay. Let's pray. Wait, of course, right? And Jennifer's. Again. It's like the same So it's not my fault she left. Yeah, so like, she left, so let's start. I won't get to women in ministry until she gets back. She wanted, she wanted to talk about that. So We have to talk about the atonement first. <laughs> I'm excited about that. And then we'll do women in ministry, all right? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. Oh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. You are already here. Lord, get me out of that habit. You're here. Holy Spirit, you're here. But my prayer is that I would be awakened to your presence. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here, that you never leave us or forsake us. I thank you that we together, both individually and corporately, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you are present. Plus, Jesus promised us that wherever two or three of us are gathered in your name, that there you are in the midst of us. So we know you're here. But I I ask you to awaken us to the fact that you're here. Help us to be open and sensitive to what you're doing, what you're saying. Lord, it is my heart's cry that we would hear you this morning. Holy Spirit, you know know who we are on the inside. And I, I ask that you would seek out strongholds, patterns of thought and action that stand over against the kingdom of God and that you would break them and uproot them and change us. Lord, I just pray that everything that you wanted to do this morning, Lord, would it be accomplished in Jesus' name. Was that Dan? Dan Halquist. I've known that man my entire life. No. I went to Starbucks and ordered an Americano with cream and stevia. Guys, just a little fun fact for you. On Thanksgiving, it will be exactly 30 days from Christmas. Oh, great. It's already Christmas time, though. Really, what's that? Jesus, you should always be celebrating Jesus' Well, and Jesus wasn't born on December 25th anyway, but but I'll tell you, let me give you more proof. Let me give you better proof than even, well, no, it's not true. That's never mind. I changed my mind. Because the last Sunday in... Uh, November is the beginning of Advent this year, and uh, and that's awfully close to Thanksgiving, but it's the weekend after 
So. How do you feel about Christmas being celebrated before Thanksgiving? I hate it, really. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, let me say why. Because we're not actually celebrating Christmas. We are, we are... Getting a spirit. No, we're not at all. We're getting into the materialistic, uh, uh, you know, worship of, of, of you know, goods and, and services. And, and we're starting the pagan <laughs> celebrations of whatever. What are you... That's what we're doing. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, ma'am. Listen. <laughs> she says with her Feliz Navidad t-shirt on. Yes. November 1st to the 25th. Yeah. Okay. You celebrate. Because Christmas, yes, it is about Jesus' birth. But you have to enjoy the decorations. And you have to get all of your Christmas joy out. And then you see. celebrate Thanksgiving and Black Friday because I think Black Friday is a holiday even though it's not because, hello, sales. And then... Right. You're just proving my point here. 28. I'm not being materialistic. I'm just saying. Then why are you excited about Black Friday if you're not being materialistic? Yes, but why do you need Christmas for that? Why do you need Christmas for that? We are allowed to disagree on this. Look, we are allowed to disagree on this. I'm not. I'm not condemning you. So let me let me bring you let me bring you a historic. Just wait a minute. What do you mean you don't want history? That that right there is the problem. Okay, now hold on. Just let me give you let me give you the historic Christian perspective on what you just said, Helen. Can I do that? Okay, because Christmas. Are you gonna ruin Christmas for me? No, well I don't think so. Christmas is not a one day celebration in the Christian calendar. It's a twelve day celebration in the Christian calendar. And but it starts on the twenty fifth. It's in the, I'm talking no, about the I, Christian calendar. Are you a Christian? Yes. Okay, well, we have a calendar. I don't know if you know about this. Uh, we have a calendar, okay? <laughs> and there are holidays, and, there are, and the, this calendar has been followed by most followers of Jesus for about 1,200 years. Okay, so we, so, you know, it, it, we have a calendar. And Christmas on, in the Christian calendar, which is the only Christmas there is, by the way, if it's not Christmas from the Christian calendar, it's not Christmas. It's something else. It's some American weird, trumped up, we want you to go out and spend a lot of money because we have to continually consume kind of a thing, which is actually anti-Christ. But let's keep moving. <laughs> no, I say we celebrate Christmas, but let's celebrate Christmas. Not before Christmas, not pre-Christmas, not, not this American blah, blah, blah Christmas. Let's celebrate the Feast of the Christ Mass, which begins on December 25th, actually midnight on the 25th. And it's a 12-day feast. That's what it is. Have you ever heard the song, The 12 Days of Christmas? There's a reason why, okay? And there's supposed to be gifts every day. There's supposed to be feasts every day. There's supposed to be celebrations every single day of Christmas. But it's preceded by a fast, which is... 
almost the entire month of, it's a four-week fast that begins, it begins, now, now listen, it's not a total fast, like we're not eating at all. It's just, it's a season of preparation, repentance, and, and a recognition of the fact that until Jesus came, everything was broken. And because Jesus came, everything is on the mend. Advent is a season where we recognize that prior to Christ is this whole history of, of humankind, of darkness, of, of the groaning of creation. And with, with Jesus comes new hope, fresh joy, something beautiful and different. Okay, that's, that's, and we take Advent to weep because there's a lot to weep about. And then... On December 25th, the whole thing turns around and we begin to rejoice. Now, let me tell you why it's December 25th. Well, no, we're not going to go into that. But it's symbolized by, okay, the winter solstice. Okay. Do you know what the first day of winter is? It's like the 22nd, right? Okay. It is, it's... The, the reason why it's then, now we, we've just landed it on the 25th, but the reason why it's then is because is the it's the darkest night. Mm-hmm. It's the longest night of the year. It's the, the day of the year where night lasts the longest. That's the solstice. Okay? All right, that's, that's the solstice. Okay, and, and the whole idea of Christmas is Things were getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker until Jesus came. And from that point forward, things were getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's why we celebrate that day. And that's why the pagans celebrated that day too. Because now the longest day of the year has happened and we can look forward to more and more sunshine, longer and longer daytime until, you know, we get to summertime when things turn back around and go the other direction. Does that all that make sense? Okay. Jesus, we don't know when Jesus was born. We have some ideas. It was probably in the spring, etc. Um, but, but we celebrate his coming, which that's what the word Advent means. His arrival, his approach. We celebrate it on December 25th, and that's fine. Amen. Now, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Last week, we began a discussion around this idea we call atonement. What happened on the cross? What took place when Jesus died? What happened? Okay, and there's multiple different ideas that are held In fact, in these last 10, 15 years, there's been quite the battle amongst theologians around the ideas regarding atonement. The most, the idea of atonement that you would have the most connection with, that you probably would think of when I ask you what happened on the cross. Well, you know, let's do that. Somebody tell me what happened on the cross. What did Jesus do? Go. Wonderful. Anybody else? <laughs> no, that that's great. That's that is that is a 
That is the, uh, the atonement theory that I figured I would hear from you. Go. They said, Father, forgive them. Right? He did say that. He said seven things on the cross. That's true. You, gotta, you have to take a couple of them and kind of split them in half and call them two things yeah. to do that, but still, it doesn't matter. Why? Here's the question. We, we, he obeyed his father? That's true. He did. I was literally just listening to a sermon on this, and I'm, I'm still in process, so we're going to leave that for a sec. The name of the sermon is God is Not a Master, and it was, ooh. It's messing with my heart in good ways. Really good ways. Okay. Um, how, many of you, how many of you have heard it like this? Okay. We sinned. Right? So we're guilty. And our guilt needed to be punished. Right? Guilt needs to be punished. Everybody with me? Mm-hmm. Have you heard this? Yeah? But Jesus loved us so much that instead of allowing that punishment to land on you, he stepped in between you and the punishment, and he took that punishment on himself. And now you get to live free of the, of the eternal punishment that, came, that should have come to you by because of your sin, but did not, because it landed on Jesus instead. Does that make sense, sir? Is, it, is everybody there? If you've never heard anything like that in your life, just tell me right now. If that, if that sentence is unfamiliar to you. Okay. That idea of what Jesus accomplished on the cross is referred to as penal substitutionary atonement. Okay? Or PSA, we'll call it because that's long. Okay? Um, you break that up, that means, okay, penal means it has to do with the law. It's, it's about a penalty. It's about the punishment that was coming to you, right? That's, that's the penal part of it, okay? Substitutionary means he is your substitute. So instead of you being punished, he, is, he substituted himself for you, and the, the punishment which belonged to you came to him. Everybody still with me? And then atonement is, is you know, just, well, this is what we talked about. This is what happens. And it's like what you said. He was the perfect sacrifice. Okay, here's here's a couple questions. And I'm not gonna we're not gonna rush to answers today. Okay. We're gonna go back to this text and we're gonna look at what this text has to say about what happened on the cross in a minute. But first I wanted to deal with what's probably living in your head already in regards to what happened on the cross. Okay. Um, so Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. But here's, here's my question. And I would love to hear an answer from you. Who was the one doing the punishing? For whom? What, what, and who was receiving that perfect sacrifice? I'm, it's okay. You can just tell me. Who was the punisher? Yeah. Okay. Any other ideas? Well, okay. The Romans are the actual ones who physically nailed Jesus to the cross. That's true. But if we're talking about this spiritual reality of punishment was coming to you, obviously the Romans weren't trying to punish you. 
I don't either. But but this is where it lives. This is his son. Like God did that. God sent Jesus to fulfill this is thing. But right. I don't oh, like but, the word. Punishment. But did he? Okay. Now, what I just put yes. out there. What I just put. Oh no, no! I'm not saying that God didn't send His Son. That's not what I was asking. What I'm asking is that what happened on the cross? That's what I'm asking. Is this what happened? Now, most would you say that that's wait, wait, is what that Jesus was punished for your sin? No, I don't like the wording "punished." Okay, what wording would you use? I don't. No. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Spend a minute. What, what, what word would you use? I'm glad you don't like the word punished because I don't think that's what happened on the cross, personally. That just sounds but like most, or something, most absolutely, which I, don't think he was. I agree a thousand percent. Punished makes it sound like somebody It was, like, certainly in trouble, does. Or was, they were somebody who's mad at them. You're so right on. It's almost like, Thank you. you know, it's almost, <laughs> it's almost like we talked about this a lot last year, which we did, by the way. But uh, <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did I, I, I didn't well I snuck it in but it, it was there I don't like the word punish either it doesn't make sense for punishment that was coming to me for Jesus to take that on and it doesn't make sense for God to be the punisher like like as you know that God but but that's my these are these are all my opinions so I want to, I want to just reel all that back in the truth is the gospel most of us have heard for most of our lives is that. Jesus took the punishment for your sin. And that is an interesting phrase. Okay? Because it doesn't exist in scripture. It's, it's an interpretation of what does exist in scripture. I would say that the truth is much more, and here's a word all of, all of you need to learn in my class, nuanced. Okay, nuance means tiny little details. That's what a nuance is. Okay, but as everybody knows, tiny little details make all the difference in the world. Really do. Ask anybody who's tried to get better at a sport. Where you put your hands on the bat, where you put your hands on the golf club, the way that you stand when you are going to, you know, exactly. All of these things are tiny little details, but they really matter. They really matter. And when it comes to talking around, to conversation around atonement, Nuance is radically important as well because of the picture of God that it gives us. And I love that that's exactly where you went. That you were upset, like, but wait a minute. But just doesn't God, like, it makes God sound like his character was to be angry and exactly. upset. Exactly. Angry and abusive. And like, like God was just so ticked off. Yeah. He didn't care who he was punching as long as he punched somebody, right? Thankfully, Jesus, the nice part of God, got in the way of the mean part of God. That is so wrong. That's what punishment, that's the picture. Yes. And it's a completely terrible picture. It's ugly and it's horrifying. Jesus and the Father are one. 
So whatever we do with atonement, we can't have God versus God. That can't happen. We can't separate the Trinity. Can't do it. For instance, are you ready for this? Well, that was one of the things Jesus said on the cross. How many of you have heard that because our sin was upon Jesus, that God turned his face and couldn't look upon the Son? How many of you have heard that? That is wrong! That is confusing, though, because even when you were talking, I was like, wait. Like, obviously, I know that Jesus and God were not separated during right. this. Absolutely. But, but it does kind of, like, I guess that has, you know, heard a sermon when he said, I have oh, too. God, why have you forsaken My whole life. It's just like, why would he say that when why would he say God that? didn't forsake him? Like, it's just really confusing. Why would he say that? I'll tell you why. Jesus was quoting a psalm. Oh, yeah, you told me that before. I actually did that last year. Like I said, we did talk about this last year. Yeah, I do actually remember you telling me that, and I just forgot. Why would Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, if indeed God had not forsaken him? Left him. Yeah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would he, why would he say that, if indeed God had not forsaken him? I'll read it to you. I always forget. I think it's Psalm 21. You might be right. I'll find it. What happened? You're th- you're... No, it, it isn't. It's... Um, nope, it's not 31 or 21. Or I'm just going to look at the... It's 27. <laughs> it's 22, Psalm 22. Right before Psalm 23? It is Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is really famous. Psalm 23 is really famous. Okay, ready? I'm going to read... Now, now, when you think about, okay, now, dying on the cross, all right, you actually die of either blood loss or asphyxiation. Those are the two ways. If you're dying on the cross, you die of either blood loss or asphyxiation. Usually the second. Asphyxiation means you can't breathe, okay? Because what they've done is they've stretched your arms out, right? What's that? Isn't that why they stabbed him? Well, Jesus was already dead. The reason they stabbed him is because uh, they want to make sure he was dead. He had... He seemed to be dead, but it's not like they could climb up on the cross and check his pulse, right? So, so they just said, they just said, and imagine, okay, they're standing down there and Jesus is up, up here. And so when they stabbed him in the side, they just went up into his heart. Boom. Right? Because that was the easiest way. Well, yes. And, and in, in, in finding that out, we find out that, that, uh, they pierced the, the, Sack around his heart, so that that's because it's there's liquid around your heart. Okay, so you can't quote a whole psalm like that. Every breath that Jesus took required him to push himself up on the nails in his feet, or to pull himself up by his arms. But that would have been very difficult too, because when you breathe, when you breathe in, your chest expands, right? 
But when your arms are being held out, your chest can't contract to blow that breath back out, so you can't breathe. That's the whole thing about this. Your arms aren't being here. Somebody grab each of her arms. Just <laughs> go oh. wait. <laughs> you can do this and breathe. But if I'm pulling, if you're literally hanging by like hanging that way. I promise you. Okay. Uh, I, I lost it here. Hold on. Okay. So, so Jesus just quoted the first words of this of the psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I also think it probably felt like God had forsaken him. But in John fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen, in Jesus. High priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus actually says to the Lord, to his father, I know you're with me and will be with me to the end. He says that to him. So we know God didn't go anywhere. Okay. And if you read all of Psalm 22, you'll find out that God didn't turn his face either. Ready? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And your ancestors put their trust. They trusted and delivered them. They trusted and you delivered them. Hey, Josh. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Ready? All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. They said those exact words to Jesus as he hung on the cross. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan, encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. Okay, so that, that verse may literally have been Jesus talking about the demons that surrounded him upon the moment of his death. I heard about a guy who had... Well, anyway, he had, an en- he had an encounter with these with this demonic being that said that the demons, the reason that it was that the sun was darkened at Jesus' death is because the demons filled the sky to watch the Messiah die. That's going to be scary. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But bulls of Bashan would are, Bashan was a demonic cursed region, and that's probably what it's referring to. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My pot, my mouth is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Remember? Jesus said what? I thirst. You lay me in the dust of death. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Again, exactly fulfilled. By what was happening with feet of Jesus Wait, at this time? They took he his clothes. undergarment. Right. Well, his his <laughs> undergarment, the Bible says, was all woven of one piece, and so they didn't want to tear it up. 
because it was nice and it was all one one piece and so instead of tearing it up they decided to roll dice to see who got it okay but you O lord do not be far from me you are my strength i'm going to just skip down a few verses here verse 24 for he the lord has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him right there any preacher that told you that he did has never read Psalm 22, even though Jesus told us from the cross to read it. God has not turned his face from him. Plain and simple. You cannot take God the Father and God the Son and pull them apart. They don't come apart. They're of a piece. Jesus said, you will be with me till the end, right? To the Father. So whatever we do with what happened on the cross, we can't do that. We can't make God versus God. It doesn't work for all the theological reasons. Can't do that. All right, and we could go and we could read a bunch of other verses in the New Testament. We're not going to take a ton of time to do that. We're just going to drill down on 1 Timothy 2. Okay, and we're going to read what it says. Can we do that? Can we read what it says? And maybe let some of our old ideas go away. Okay, there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. As a ransom. I asked you last week, what does ransom mean? And you said it was what you would give to, like, you know, it was, you said a, 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 a reward, yeah. right? Which is the right idea, right? Because in our modern use of the word ransom, we would say, you know, if I kidnapped you and then your parents paid me to get you back, that, that's a ransom. What they paid is a ransom, okay? The, the Greek word here is a word that refers specifically to the price that is paid to buy someone out of slavery. That's as far as we got last week. The price that was paid to buy someone out of slavery. So, here's my question. Who, who was Jesus buying? I'll just ask all of them at once. Who was Jesus buying? Who was he buying them from? And why was his life Effective as a ransom to buy us. To, oh, I just gave you the answer to the first question. Oh, to buy the person out of slavery. Why was his life the right coin to buy this person out of slavery? So who was he buying? Us. Mankind. Mankind. Humanity. He was buying us out of slavery to whom? Correct. Are we slaves of Satan? No. no. Now, Satan is an agent of sin, but Satan is also a slave to sin. Just as much as we are. Okay. So did Jesus give his life to the devil? No. No. 
So how and who did Jesus give his life to? God, it was a sacrifice. But if it was given to God, how does that work? Okay? If it's given to God, if Jesus' life was given to God, that means God is our slaveholder. Was God our slaveholder? To the world. Well, yeah, but what's the world? People. But see, are we, do you, hold, are you holding yourself slavery, in slavery? Did we gave his life to sin? Yes. Now, is sin a person? No. What is sin? Sure. Right. Go, go deeper. No, we do call specific acts sins. We call them that. But when I talk about sin as a thing, like I cross, like the big, the word for, for sin outside of just an in, individual act. Okay, I would say the individual acts that we call sins are actually uh, symptoms of the greater problem. Like disobedience to God. Also a symptom of a greater problem. What is, well, what is sin? Evil? We are being tempted to sin. Evil, that's pretty good. Evil's another name for the same kind of idea. Death, Death is the wages of sin. Okay. These questions are super important. This question, what is sin anyway? What is that? What is it? Ooh, okay, but if it's the opposite of God, then is it the equal of God? Wait, what? If you say sin is the opposite of God, would you say sin is the equal of God? Because that is no. not correct. No. Because no. well, it would be equally opposite. What does the dictionary say? An immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine moral laws. Sure, right. That is one definition, but not for the way we're using the word now. When I say you are a slave to sin, you're a slave to an immoral act that is a... Are there other definitions there? Um, Translations and more definitions. Okay. Are we looking at this as a noun or a verb? It's definitely a noun. You can't be Uh, enslaved to a verb. An act regarded as a serious or regrettable fault, offense, or omission. Okay. Any others? Um, offended against God, a person, or principle. Right. I don't think we're going to find it, to be honest. I don't think we are. Go. What is it? Sin is... Um, I <laughs> Think about it this way. Okay? Sin is a system. A pattern. Oh, okay. okay. It is well. It is a lifestyle. Well, but you can it still is. sin once and turn. Yeah. Sorry. What? I didn't mean for that word to go. I'm just so confused by something you said. I was looking at you. By something I said earlier. Yes. Okay. What is it? Okay. So you, because we were talking about like Jesus. The second question you asked. What did you yeah. say? Jesus okay. died to what? Jesus. To, okay. Number one. Jesus died to Jesus, who, did, who was Jesus ransoming? Us. Us. And, from whom? 
was Jesus ransoming And we determined sin. Sin. That's the answer. So, like, in the Old Testament, yes. when they had to, like, sacrifice animals and stuff, right. were they sacrificing them for sin? No. Well, sometimes, yes, but not because always. There's lots of different... I know there's different kinds of whatever... But sacrifices. But the sin sacrifices, like, when they're like, God, I did something wrong. Yeah. Cut off this lamb's head. Not good. Like, sin and death. Well, the, but that's not how it worked. See, that's... that's The problem is we don't really understand Old Testament sacrifice very well. But isn't Jesus, like... So that we don't have to do Old Testament sacrifices anymore? <laughs> no. Jesus is what the Old Testament yeah. sacrifices were pointing towards. It was like a foreshadowing. Yes. That's, that's what I meant. Like Jesus. Right. But you kind of put it backwards, test- though. Yeah. Jesus was just like the final. Jesus was what those sacrifices were talking to us about. Okay. So, here's the idea. Well, we're, I, we don't have time to go back and do the whole thing. We I'm will. T- we we will go back. Sin. Sin is the right answer, sin then. That. Sin and death. We might. We might want to. Might want to take those two things. Or is that an opinion? I'm just genuinely asking. No, this is the general. Multiple scriptures across all the New Testament say you were a slave to sin. Yes. Go look and re- so that's what we're talking about. And when you're being the when the slave price has been paid, it's paid to your slave master, correct? So that is sin. All right. But sin is not an individual. Sin is a system. Sin is a pattern. Sin is an administration of the way things work in the world. Okay, for instance, if I say to you global warming. Okay. I know, don't even worry about it. Okay, climate change. We'll say climate change. Okay, that's, that's the words of... But let's just, just forget that. Let's talk about, let's do a different one. It's not quite as controversial. Um, weather. What's weather? Is... is is a storm weather? No. Yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> it's a storm weather, but when I say weather, am I talking about more than just a storm? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. What is weather? The things we experience. Right. Weather is the way the atmosphere of the earth behaves. Does that make sense? All right. Sin is, all, is exactly like that. Sin is the way... That human beings behave. It's the system to which we belong. It is when we said no to God's way and yes to our own way back in in the garden, because that's what we did. God said, you're going to be like me. You are like me. I created you to be like me. So walk with me in the garden and you'll rule over everything because you're like me. But then what happens? Okay. God says, by the way, there's a tree in the middle of the garden that I don't want you to eat from. So Eve is having a conversation with this heavenly being, the Nachash, the serpent. Do you think anything would have happened if she ate at least? No, probably not. But he says... Hey, Eve, is it true you don't get to eat of any of the trees in the garden? And she was like, no, we can eat of all the trees in the garden except for that one over there. And, and we're not even really supposed to touch it. <coughs> because we'll die. Now, Eve had no idea what die meant. No. We'll die. I don't know what that means, but we'll die. <laughs> and the serpent's like, 
do that, you're going to become like God. And Eve was like, but I thought I was like God. Serpent was like, well. Now see, God doesn't want you to really become like God. If you eat that, then you will. And that's why he told you not to eat of that. Because he doesn't really want you to become like him. So Eve had a choice. She could become who she was created to be by doing what her creator told her to do. Or she could shortcut the creator's process and do it herself. And you know what she did. I have a question, but it doesn't really go along. Well, then hold on for just a sec. When she did that, she gave up God's way and she took up the way of sin and death. She chose death over God. She didn't know what death was, and she was being deceived anyway, but that's what she did. She chose sin and death over God. She chose the way of death over God's way. And when she did, she became enslaved to death and sin. Because God gives us freedom to make choices. Sin does not. When we leave God's way, the way of freedom, the way where we stay free as free agents to do whatever we would choose to do, because how do you create a ruler who's subservient? You don't. You create a ruler who makes wise choices. And that's who we were created to be as rulers. Go read it in Genesis chapter 2. Let us make man in our image that he might rule that is our that's why we were created to be free agents just like god to be a people who live making choices and we blew the very first choice <laughs> ever since that day humanity has been locked in to one way of doing things which is the opposite of god's way it's foolish and it's broken and it leads towards death always, every time, sometimes sooner than later. But it leads towards death and not just physical death, but eternal death. Because God is life and everything else is death. Which leads us to Old Testament sacrifice. Because the world belongs to death. And God is life. And what they would do is they would take something that was alive. They would take its life from it. Because the life was in the blood. And they would make a space in the midst of the place of death, the earth. That was, was like a little bubble of life. And in that space... Man and God could meet, because God can be in that holy space. And man can be there too. That's why it had to be maintained, because it was just a little bubble of life and it had to be held in place by the sacrifice of the Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus wasn't content just to make a little bubble of life. Jesus wanted to reclaim the earth for life which is what he did. 
so that now we don't have a specific place where we go to worship God, but we are the temples of the Holy Spirit ourselves. Does all that make sense? Okay. What did Jesus do? So the last question is this. Why was Jesus' life the coinage that needed to be paid to set us free from slavery to sin? Because he lived the life that we couldn't. That's part of it. Jesus' life had not been touched by sin. He was a non he was not claimed by sin. He was not a slave to sin. That's part of it. Absolutely. What else? Part of, another part of it is what I just said to you. Because he was both God and... Right. And what was, what was in Jesus was the life of God. Not just human life, but the very life of God. Divine life that could cleanse the entire world and make all of the earth a place for life and no longer ruled by death. But there's even more. And it's this. Changing a system that has momentum, okay, always costs a lot, okay? Imagine you take a 10-pound bowling ball and you, boom, as hard as you can, and I want to change the trajectory of that bowling ball, right? Now, if I use my foot... Is that going to be a pleasant experience for me? No. To change the trajectory of that bowling ball? What's going to happen to my foot? And probably my right. ankle, right? <laughs> it's going to get smashed. It may not stop it completely, but it'll send it off in another direction, right? I am absorbing the momentum yeah. of that ball in order to send it in a different direction because that's how systems work. Systems have momentum. They gain forward motion, which is why whenever anybody in the human system stands up and tries to make radical change in that system, what happens? Somebody dies, right? Think of Martin Luther King Jr., okay? He stood up in the face of the momentum of racism. <clears throat> Could he survive very long? Absolutely not. You want to know why? Because he was the foot in the way of the bowling ball of American racism, and he wasn't the only one. There were many, 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 which is why there were so many lynchings, etc., all across the United States, but he was kind of the figurehead. So what happened? They killed him. Why did they kill him? Because the momentum of the whole culture collapsed on this one man, and he ended up dying. Does that make sense? We've done this over and over and over and over again. We always do this. We did it to Socrates. We did it to, uh, we've, we've done it to so, so many, so, so many over all of the generations when somebody stands up and says, the world doesn't have to be the way that it currently is. The system of this world and everybody that is gaining from the way the system of this world currently works, they are going to hate you because you have told them that this doesn't have to continue the way that it is already going. Things can change. And that person, whoever is 
has enough strength and enough and enough guts and enough prophetic unction to stand up and say things can change. That person's always going to absorb the momentum of the system as it is forced to change around them. Jesus did exactly that on a higher plane than any other human in the history of this world because Jesus stood in the path of death and said, death does not get to rule creation anymore. So what did death do? Death did what death always does. It killed him. Which was exactly what Jesus wanted it to do. Because Jesus wasn't just any guy. Jesus was life itself. And you can't kill life. Anybody seen the original Men in Black movie? Remember the end where Tommy Lee Jones says to the big bug, Eat me! Right? What does he do? Eats him, right? And then as, you know, the bug's about to kill Will Smith, what happens? Right? He explodes everywhere because Tommy Lee Jones went inside the bug to blow him up from the inside out. Well, that is exactly what Jesus did with death. You think that you can swallow me? (laughs) I'm not just some other dude. I am God in human flesh. And Jesus went down into death and exploded it from the inside out, wrecked its ability to rule the world forever. And he began something which is, we're still, there's still death in the world, right? I mean, it's still out there, but death has now died. And Jesus began the ball, the the bowling ball moving in a completely different direction. So that when it's all over, all of Jesus' work is done. But when the ramifications of his work, the ripples outward from what Jesus did, from Jesus' death and resurrection, when they're completed, death will no longer exist. Sin will have been eradicated from all of existence. Because of what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. That's what it means that he ransomed us. And that's what this is all about. Does that make sense? Pretty incredible, right? Because at the end of the day, death will be over. Questions? Thoughts? Ideas? Jesus shifted the gravity of the universe. And because of that, we don't see the cross as Jesus taking our punishment. It's not like that. Uh, crucifixion is not what God inflicts upon Jesus in order to forgive. The crucifixion is what God in Christ endures as he forgives. The cross is where God absorbs sin and recycles it into forgiveness. That was Brian Zahn, not Josh Hawkins. Isn't that great? 
that's so great. Because now we don't have a ticked off God who's like, I gotta kill somebody, so I might as well be my own son. Right? That's not, you know, that's that. What, what kind of a, do you wanna worship that guy? I don't wanna worship that guy. No, no, no. This is God saying, I love you so much. And you are caught up in death. So I am going to go into death myself and blow it up from the inside out so that no one will ever be a slave to it again. Mm -hmm. That's how he's a ransom. And that's so much better. (laughs) So much better than those other broken pictures. Yes. I'm going to read N.T. Wright. A new sort of power will be let loose upon the world. And it will be the power of self-giving love. This is the heart of the revolution that was launched on Good Friday. You cannot defeat the usual sort of power by the usual sort of means. If one force overcomes another, it's still force that wins. Rather, at the heart of the victory of God over all the powers of the world, there lies self-giving love, which, in obedience to the ancient prophetic vocation, will give its life as a ransom for many. Amen. Amen. All right. We have 13 minutes to talk about women in ministry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Shall we save it for another day? Yeah. Let's do that. Any more questions around what it means that Jesus is a ransom? I'm so glad. <laughs> you sound surprised. <laughs> uh, uh, no. That's... Okay. Any time that you hear a version of what happened on the cross that pits God against man, God was mad at you, he hated you, and so he had to, you know... But Jesus saved you. That's okay. what confused me when I was little because I was like, is he Jesus God? And then they would preach about yes, that. Yes, Jesus is God. And so then, how but then can I, that I would always like, disconnect the two things. And I'd be like, Jesus is God. Then he said Jesus to die for you because he needed to be punished for you. And I was like, okay. Whatever we say about atonement cannot separate, it, it cannot separate God from God. Can't put God and the Father and God the Son against each other. Against each other. Can't do that. It can't make God a servant of Satan either. Well, the Lord had to pay the devil because you gave yourself over to the devil. Can't do that. God will never serve the devil. That doesn't happen. Okay. It can't make God look other than Jesus looked. Jesus perfectly reveals the Father. Remember that. We don't see Jesus running around killing sinners. <laughs> so why would God do Exactly. That's not what God would do. If that's the kind of God that God is, then Jesus would have shown us that. But that's not the kind of God that God is. God is a self-giving, all-forgiving, co-suffering God. Ooh, that's another piece that we didn't really talk about. Okay. Last thing. Atonement has to include this, that he came to be with you. The way I like to say this at my church is, he made our problems his problems. 
use the word co-suffering. You know the word compassion? Mm -hmm. That's what it means. Passion means to suffer. Co-compassion, to suffer with. This is what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come to be separate from you. He came to be one with us. To enter all of what humanity is so that he could heal all of what humanity is. And not just humanity, but creation itself. All of creation. See, God, when God created something other than himself, that's what we call creation. Prior to that, all there was was God. What he did in Christ was fill all of creation even more with himself. Now, he had already filled all of creation with himself, but this is now God making himself one with creation. He had to do that. Why? Because sin had infiltrated all of creation. So in order for him to set creation free from its bonds to decay, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, what did Jesus have to do? Jesus had to fill creation with himself so that his death could break the power of sin and death over all of creation. Because God's not just recreating you and me. God's recreating everything. Does that all make sense? Thoughts, questions, queries, misunderstandings, arguments. This is going to mess with some of your favorite songs. I'm going to tell you that right now. I have to sing some of my songs differently. There's a lot of songs I can't sing the same. You guys know the song, In Christ Alone? Mm-hmm. There's a verse that says, On the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. I have a real problem with that <laughs> verse. We sang that song at my church a, a few months ago and I made him change those lyrics to like the love of God was displayed or something like that. I made him change it. Because this isn't, the cross is not about God being angry at you or even at sin. The cross isn't about God's wrath, it's about ours. We killed him. We destroyed him. All right. Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you for defeating death. Thank you for being the ransom for us, Jesus. Thank you for destroying the power of sin and death forever. Now, Lord, as we live in this season where we hang between a deathless future and 
life marked by death. Lord, lead us to walk by the Spirit. Lead us to lean into the resurrection that's already begun in us. That we might receive and bear the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, next time we'll just spend the whole time on women in ministry, and that can be fun. <laughs> <laughs>